The text for the message this morning is 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verses uh, 1, 1 to 5. It's on page 995 of the Pew Bible. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Imagine if you received a letter from a man that you loved and respected very much who was on death row, a man who was about to be killed by the government because of his Christian faith. The knowledge that we're reading, the, the last words of a man that Christ Jesus himself has called and sent to preach the gospel makes us not only think about the actual words he wrote, but also how those words reveal what he is feeling and thinking about in those last days of his life. This understanding makes every word hit us, not just in the mind, but also in the heart. Think about it, the impact of the words, I am thankful, spoken by somebody you meet on the street. It's not nearly the same as the impact of reading, I am thankful for you as the last words of a father who is on death row about to die. And as we read and study 2 Timothy, it's important to keep that context and that situation in our minds. You're reading the last, some of the last words of the Apostle Paul. Most scholars agree that after being imprisoned for some time in Rome, as recorded at the end of Acts, Paul was set free and fulfilled his desire to travel to Spain, like he talks about in Romans 15. And while he was away on this journey, Timothy continued to serve the household congregations in Ephesus, while others helped serve in, in other cities. But if you read 1 Timothy and Titus, you can see that it was a very tough time for new Christians. Not only were they being influenced by false teaching, but also the Roman emperor Nero was persecuting the church, killing believers. The pastoral letters indicate that perhaps using Corinth as a hub city, Paul had visited Macedonia, Crete, Nicopolis, Miletus, and Ephesus before he was arrested again by the Romans, this time to be put to death. The second letter to Timothy was written at some time after Paul's arrest in 67 or 68 AD before he was beheaded on the Ozean Way according to a very ancient 
church historian whose name is Eusebius. So he was beheaded and killed at the hands of Nero about the same time that the apostle Peter was martyred. In about 170 AD, about 100 years later, there's an ancient writer named Caius. And he's talking about this letter, to Second, this letter called Second Timothy, and he calls it a letter of love and affection. And indeed, as we will read, and as we read what God's servant Paul wrote so many years ago, we can feel that, that warmth and compassion along with the weight of urgency that's underlining every sentence, every word that we read. If you were about to die, what would you write every word you would choose so carefully? And so these words of deep historical value and genuine example of Christian faith are deeply treasured by God's people for the way that they connect our Christian life today to the real experiences, the, even, even the words that were chosen by Christians so many years before us. We continue on as members of that same church in that simple unchanging truth of the gospel that comes echoing forth in the first verses of Second Timothy that I preached to you under the theme, God sends generations of servants of the promise of life in Christ. You see that there's a common cause connecting us all, the covenant blessing that we also share in. Because Christ has been gathering his church in all times and in all places in the world, just, just think about that. What, is that. what does that mean? Christ has been bringing together believers in all different situations. We could spend a month just investigating, discussing, and cataloging all the different situations that God's people find themselves in even today, if, if you ask the members, the visitors of, of this congregation from places like South Africa and Korea and Iran, Cameroon, China, Zimbabwe, Australia, United States, Brazil, Holland, Ukraine, other continents, even Canada, and you ask them to describe what the church looks like in their birth countries or their passport countries or the countries where these churches are doing mission work, we would have such a diverse description of traditions and meeting places and traveling challenges and emphases and preaching styles and confessional documents and strengths and challenges. And then if we add in how these things have changed over the, the centuries, we could talk of even more different experiences in which the triune God is worshipped by his people. The range of experiences from government support to persecution, from prosperity to poverty, from freedom to slavery, from large buildings and to small groups meeting in porches of houses, and the different flavors of worship that's influenced by the expressive or reserved cultures and different forms of communication. All that leads us to be extremely humble and continually grateful for the wide-ranging, unfettered, powerful work of the Holy Spirit in this unique tapestry of our human experiences. 
Although we may have trouble identifying with each and every situation, and sometimes we have that. We talk to somebody who worships and it comes from a different background and, and our eyes almost glaze over as they describe the, their church situation. It's so hard for us to understand no matter where we come from or what we're used to, we are all able to identify with the core teaching at the heart of every Christian church that Paul brings forward in the first verses of 2 Timothy, the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Paul's letter to Timothy begins with the central doctrine that unites all Christians of all times and places, the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. And when we realize that the promise he's talking about is given to people who are already alive, we can see that the apostle is referring to a deliverance from spiritual death that separates people from fellowship with God as a punishment for their sins. God gave the promise of life in the context of the cursed when he promised that the offspring of the woman would crush the head of the serpent so that she would be the mother of the living. Genesis 3, verse 15 and following. God fulfilled the promise of life by sending his own son into our world to bear the curse that we deserve for our sins when he died on the cross so that we might be raised up with him to new life, restored fellowship with our Father in heaven. Every Christian in all these different circumstances clings to that promise. John 3 verse 16 summarizes it that when it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And we can hear the voices in all the languages in the world saying, Amen. And Jesus announced, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And Jesus further explained in John 17 that he has authority to give eternal life to all whom the Father had given him. And this is, says Jesus, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That promise of the life that is in Jesus Christ that, that makes us steadfast in our lives on earth. It's, it's at the center of everything we do. It's also the promise that sustains us when we're faced with death. And you can see how it united Paul and his churches, the churches he planted. Christ's work changes everything for us in every moment of our lives. Christ's finished work and its glorious results for believers. It's the, the center of all God's work in the world. This is what it's all about. And in his grace, the Lord wants his people, the people who had rebelled against him, to know about it. And that's why we read in 2 Timothy 1, verse, verse 1, that it was God's will to appoint servants of this promise of life in Christ. Just as our Lord Jesus hand-picked particular men to serve as his apostles, people who are sent out when he was on earth. So again, later, the, the Lord snatched 
Paul off the lonely road to Damascus and turned him to the way, the way of Christ. God's will prevailed over Paul's, and Paul became an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then through his ministry, the Lord raised up other servants of the promise of life in Christ, and Paul viewed all these who, who God raised up as his spiritual children. If you read 1 Corinthians 4, verse 15, it says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And when we consider that special relationship between Paul, the Apostle Paul, and the evangelist uh, Timothy, we also see that when the promise of the life that is in Jesus Christ is the center of our lives, then it becomes the major focus of instruction and encouragement in the preparation of people also for serving in the ministry of the gospel. <clears throat> As we seek to serve that promise of life, you can see how Paul was focusing on preparing ministers of the gospel, supporters of these special offices. And as a church, we, we think about that for ourselves too. How are we continuing on what, what Jesus Christ established in Paul? And, and we can give thanks for the opportunity he has given to us to be involved in the formation of future pastors. If you look at the bulletin this week, you can see the opportunity to contribute to the, the library at the seminary. We, we've received students here. We're involved in, in examinations. And, and all this is a part of the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit already revealed to us in our text. We pray that God will help us and also instill this same desire in the next generation to be diligent in the special way of focusing on the promise of life that is in Christ, being servants of this promise in so many different ways. Well, Paul's prayer for Timothy and the churches arose out of his concern for the future of Christ's church. It was about to face intense persecution and dangers of false teaching. Well, we do well to think of our future as well. The danger of false teaching is real. The danger of persecution is real. This is really where we're living. This is really a part of what it means to follow Jesus Christ in 2023. And it's in this eager desire to see the church of Christ continue faithfully even in the midst of all the, the dangers around it that Paul greets Timothy and he greets all the churches that Timothy was going to give this letter to with the glorious blessing that characterizes the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. United in the common cause, we share in the Father's blessing that the Son has earned and which the Holy Spirit applies to everyone whom God has given faith. That blessing we read in verse 2. The declaration of grace for undeserving sinners and mercy for those who are in distress and peace for the people who need reconciliation with God. It's a testimony to the reality of the finished work of Jesus Christ, a, a blessing that we receive and, and we cling to with eager, with thankful hearts. The high priestly blessing 
fulfilled by our mediator, Jesus Christ, as that was so beautifully explained for us as we gathered in worship on Ascension Day and reflected on that blessing of Christ that continues to be poured out upon us. That blessing equips us for our task and calling in this world. Our God speaks the promise and he gives the promise as he pours out his grace and his mercy and his peace upon us in covenant as a covenant blessing and it's passed on from one generation to the next see that in our second point the covenant blessing and Paul is such a focused and a committed servant for the common cause of the gospel that even while he is there on death row Maybe not even knowing how he will be killed, but only that he will be killed for his faith. He rejoices when he thinks of all the people who believed in Jesus Christ through his ministry and even joined him in his task. There is no woe is me attitude for Paul when he's about to be killed for his faith. He isn't sitting there in the cell thinking about himself and how hard it is or or thinking about himself and thinking I'm such a good apostle in his pride. He isn't focused on himself so that he gets bitter about his mistreatment. He's completely focused on the Lord, on the well-being of the church. And even as we hear that, we see the the Holy Spirit driving us to, to want to do that same thing. That's how the Spirit guides the Christian. Think about the words of the apostles that that we read. He says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience. As I remember you, your tears, your sincere faith. The word serve that the apostle uses in verse 3, the God whom I serve is related to the liturgical service that was connected to the role of priests in the Old Testament who stood between God and his people as as mediators. He says, I thank the God that I am serving as a mediator, as, as a spokesman, blessed with a clear conscience and the real forgiveness of Christ that this next generation is finding joy and the promise of life that is in Christ. And we see it together then, don't we? Through Christ, no one has to be afraid of death or judgment. God's work is so much more than just what we might be experiencing at one time. We're we're really appointed. We're instruments in, in His hands. Even in times of bitter suffering on the earth, we can thank God for bringing that promise of life in Christ from one generation to the next. We thank God because it's not something that we we take for granted. Paul knew that even the preaching of the gospel of the great apostle wasn't a guaranteed result sort of thing. You plant the seed, you know it will grow, but when he saw the growth, he thanked the Lord. Waiting for his execution, Paul's mind goes to the covenant blessings of God and how the Lord works through his covenant with believers and their children to preserve the faith from one generation to the next. 
He himself experienced this. He talks about his, his ancestors in verse 3. He experienced this as a recipient of the faith of his ancestors, which prepared him for the full understanding of the fulfillment of the Old Testament in our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have time, we don't have too much today. If you read Acts 22, verse 3, and Acts 24, verse 14 to 15, he, he talks more about how he, cont- he received this faith. And then it was his turn to be the spiritual father to the next generation. And then it was Timothy's turn to be the spiritual father to the next generation. And the language of child and father that Paul uses in his letter to Timothy highlights the character of this transmission of the gospel from one generation to the next. Apostles, evangelists, preachers, teachers, elders, deacons pass on and proclaim the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus in the context of a deep fatherly love with emotional ties to the spiritual children they're serving in their ministry. Look at Paul is saying office bearers can identify with in his service of the gospel. Paul remembered the faces and the responses of Timothy and his other spiritual children. He prayed for them constantly, night and day, the longing to see them. That's true that we often fight the temptation to do pastoral work as if it is merely administrative work or perhaps to receive the, the, the shepherds as nothing more than executive officers. The Spirit is working through the offices, being a faithful apostle or evangelist or shepherd means caring so deeply for the, the sheep that God has entrusted into our care, that we mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. And as we're at this time in our church cycle where some office bearers have come to the end of the term, they, it's a, there's a sadness in that departure from the work because of the emotional ties to God's people. Perhaps to get a sense of this concern, it would help to think of your shepherd as a spiritual father who really wants what's best for your soul, praying for you. It's the character of the transmission from one generation to the next. And we see how closely tied that is to what's happening also in our families. Pastoral care is a deeply emotional and involved prayerful work and the strength of the bonds that are formed among spiritual children or fathers and their children, it's exemplified by Timothy's tears. Tears when he had to depart from the Apostle Paul. These tears and Paul's longing to be with Timothy, they, they open up for us the reality of life as a Christian, also in times of persecution. It gives us a real understanding of the, the painful and the difficult reality of persecution. We're so far from it, we don't always understand, but brothers and sisters, again, one in every seven Christians in the world today who are being persecuted for their faith and the promise of life in Jesus Christ can identify right away with the words of of Timothy and Paul. They're talking about tears because of the love for one another. 
Persecution is separating loved ones. It brings physical pain. It brings emotional pain, extreme trauma to those being harmed and to those who love them. This is still happening today. And remembering the context, we can feel the need for Timothy to, to know that Paul is okay. You can, you can maybe picture it, just imagine that this persecution is happening, and, and it's happening right now, and there are people in our own congregation who are reaching out to loved ones uh, back home, and, and they're wondering, they want to know, are you okay? Timothy wants to know, is, is Paul okay? Paul wants to communicate that he is okay, and, and you know what? He's not talking about his food rations, or his, his bed, or his wealth, or his, his comforts, or his success in, in business, but he confirms that he is okay. By saying that I believe in the promise of the life that is in Christ. It's only that promise that will guarantee that Paul and Timothy and every other Christian and every other place will meet again when our Lord returns in glory. When we know that, we can know they'll be okay. And we can see why the Apostle's mind turns to the genuine faith that Timothy received as a blessing of the, com of the covenant. It's such a great comfort for him in the midst of his extremely difficult circumstances. Whoever or whatever it was that reminded him, he says he was reminded of Timothy's sincere faith. Paul thinks about it now in the context of his upbringing in the home. Like so many of us here today, Timothy learned the faith from his mother, a believing Jewish woman, and his grandmother, who acquainted Timothy with the sacred scriptures from childhood, like you read in 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 to 15. Timothy's mother and his grandmother, they saw Christ as the fulfillment of the promises. They trusted in Christ, and they cooperated with the apostle of Jesus Christ in that glorious work which resulted in Timothy's Confer, uh, conversion. Now we're, we're doing this every day, aren't we, in our homes? We're thinking of the next generation. Now put all that you're doing in the context of this life and death question of persecution. And we'll see how very important it is to be faithful. Although this is raising the next generation of children is primarily the, the parents' responsibility. They, they don't do this work alone. And we look at this together now as, as a congregation. Believing parents have their children baptized. They promise to instruct their children in this doctrine and to have them instructed in this faith by their spiritual parents that God provides in this ongoing formation of our collective spiritual children. We are spiritual children as the next generation we are spiritual parents as we look down, as we consider the, the, the next generation that's, that's coming up. And we live in a cooperative, intertwined discipleship program that is called the Emmanuel Canadian Reformed Church of Believers. You see how it all fits together? What, what thought have you given to the next generation? Whether you're preparing yourself, your desire to see spiritual growth in those around you, the letter, the Spirit urges us to, to pray that God might help us to work together 
to providing Christian edu education, being friends and mentors to those who are not able to have ongoing communication with one or both of their parents, by coming alongside one another in our pilgrimage, especially to those who are alone. And so these few verses at the beginning of that important letter, they make us ask very important questions. Is, is our life still centered on the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus? The only promise that really matters in life and death? Or have you gotten distracted by all the other noise that so easily fills our lives? Do your attitudes toward the Lord and His church reflect your deep and sincere faith in the promise of life that is in Jesus Christ? Does this promise then influence your priorities, the use of your time, the use of your, your money? Do you see the people around you? Do you give thanks to the Lord every day for the blessing of grace and mercy and peace that He pours upon you? That you are equipped by this blessing to, to also go on and continue to speak of that promise? Do you see how God in His grace has included each one of us as children of believers in those covenant blessings that we are also called to pass on? By the grace of God, we may know the promise of life that is in Jesus Christ, where that small percentage in, in the population in the world that knows the gospel of Jesus Christ, that common cause that unites all believers, we may participate in this awesome work in our homes and in our communities together. We can thankfully come beside one another rejoicing in the spiritual growth of one another as we, we live in that promise of life under the blessing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, the apostle there in prison, he thanked God for the privilege and the blessing when he was about to die for his faith. Well, we can thank God for that privilege and blessing now and live in it. May the Lord help us in this by his Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll now sing together Psalm 78, stanzas 1, 2, and 3. It's a psalm that's often brought to our attention when we're thinking of the, the passing on from one generation to the next. In the psalm, there is a mention of, of Israel again. And Israel is the covenant people of God in the Old Testament. We're connected to that same church. And when we talk about Israel, his nation, we understand that it's God dealing with his, his chosen people. Let's stand, if you're able to stand, and sing Psalm 78, stanzas 1, 2, and 3. 